This is Pound in Victory. Well, what are you going to talk about? I'd like to talk a little bit about my mother because mm-hmm. of the fact that um, her life played a great part in mine of finding Christ. You what know, was her name? Charlotte. That's a good name. But her given name was Charlotte, and everybody called her Tiny. Yeah. Because she was only four foot eleven, and she was very small when uh, she met my father and got married. Mm-hmm. And we she, have a picture of them at that time, right? Yeah. And there, there's a s- substantial height difference. Yes, there was. Yeah. And age. He was 13 years older than her. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when she felt like she was young for having their first child, he felt he was getting old. That's interesting. So then they went on and continued having children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but there was many things, you know, that you you remember back, you know. And I don't have a lot of memories when I was young, but I do remember that... Um, I had mentioned before in a broadcast that we were, when when I was a little baby and I was born, we were lived in a two-room log cabin. Yeah. Till I was like five. And one of my first memories of my mother was, uh, we had uh, two rooms, and I woke up in the night and I came around by the doorway and I seen her sitting on the other side of the room, with a, a kerosene lantern. Mm-hmm. And she was sit- sitting with a book right in front of her hands and face, and she was squinting to see. Hmm. And she was out there reading a book all by herself. And I stood there for the longest time just watching her, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it really stuck with me. So they both liked to, to read. Oh, yeah. Both yeah. of your parents. That's cool. Yeah, and and when we lived there, my dad planted a elm tree right out in front, mm-hmm. and and of course he was always working somewhere, you know, and he dug the hole and he had not moved the tree over into it, and he was gone, and I was apparently out there by myself, and I fell in that hole, mm. and when I fell in there, I was really small. And in my view, it looked like I just fell in the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was so frightened. Oh, it was just terrible. And then uh, my mother, being as small as she was, you know, mm-hmm. she had to go find a ladder someplace, and an old homemade ladder my dad made, and come over and stick it in the hole and come down and get me, you know. And... Uh, and it was a, like a life-saving moment. And wow. Even as a youngest I was, I thought this thing could cave in. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'd be buried out there. So, uh, you know, she she uh, was raising kids in those circumstances. And How old um, was she when they got married? You know, I don't exactly know. But I know she had uh, had three kids before me, so... And then when we were uh, living in the, in the next house we had, she really had her hands full because we had that two-bedroom uh, home there, but uh, the rooms are all bigger, mm-hmm. you know, with all these kids. 
hurry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I she, she was a, a smoker, mm-hmm. and she smoked Chesterfield cigarettes. She was an extremely clean woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she always washing and cleaning everything. Mm-hmm. And even though they didn't have nice things, you know, brand new things, they were always clean. Yeah. And I thought many times I thought you could eat off the floor when she gets done, you know, mm-hmm. getting down scrubbing and cleaning. So she was always cleaning, but then you got, you know, six kids running around at the points I remember. Mm-hmm. My youngest sister didn't come around for quite a while there. But when you got that many kids in that small of a house, they can tear it up in a hurry. Yeah. And uh, she was a, quite a lady, being as small as she was. And as we grew, she, um, I, the one thing that really stood out was she had a reverse psychology thing that she picked up somewhere. <laughs> Maybe that, it was the book she was reading. <laughs> could have been. Because when we were, get into a fight, which happened quite often. We'd get into a fight, and she didn't know how to handle things, so she came up with this idea that if, say, my brother was trying to wail on me, uh, she would grab a broom or she'd grab a chair or something, and she'd come after the one that's getting beaten. And she'd say, you want to beat? You want to beat? Well, let's beat him, you know? Oh, and man. Yeah. And the next thing you know, the one that was doing the aggression would start saying, no, 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 please, leave him alone, leave him alone. <laughs> you know? And then everything had settled down that way. My dad would be gone working with that many kids, you know. She had to take charge somehow. She's always very concerned and taking care of everybody and uh, very loving. Mm-hmm. You know? And I always address it like, you know, I, I had really good parents and with all their ignorance, you know, and probably learning as they go, you know. Um, I, I thought we had a really good family. That's how most people are, like how most parents are. Like they're, you just start out, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And everybody, for the most part, is trying to do their best with what they have and what they, the knowledge that they have. Yeah, when the, I look back at it, and I, I think with us, me and my wife, and the uh, other people I see, mm-hmm. a first child's always the trial thing. You know? Yeah, and for everybody. They're learning how to parent through that one. And then when uh, you keep having them, you know, then you got to learn that every one of them have a different personality, mm-hmm. and you got to start doing readjustments there. It makes me think of the time when she was trying to give you medicine. She just capitalized on your own. Yeah, and for people that can't misfortune. can't probably even imagine this, you know, she when by the time we left that house, mm-hmm. that, when that happened, they had five children at that point, mm-hmm. and did a two-room log cabin, and she was doing laundry, and she had a laundry in a, a tub mm-hmm. that she had pumped water and put it into that t- tub on the floor and then you had a washboard. Yeah. And so she'd have all the clothes there and then rub them on the washboard. 
Well, she was just getting ready to do that, and she had a medication that was she was supposed to give me, so I was refusing. Mm-hmm. I was not going to take that. And she walked along. She kept wanting to put it in my mouth, and I kept backing up. And all of a sudden, her face just changed. Mm-hmm. And she got the funniest smile on her face, and she grinned <laughs> real big, and then she walks toward me one more time, and I was backing up by that tub, and I didn't know it. <laughs> And down I went. And when I come up out of that water, she was jerking me up by the shirt and shoved the spoon in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then That's she laughed and laughed. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't fight with me. <laughs> no. She just had to get you in the right spot, and you took care of it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. She was quite a lady. <clears throat> she went to a... Bloomer, which was a big town for us to go to. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it had 1,500 people or something. <laughs> and, wow, a thriving metropolis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it felt like it's to us when we were kids. Right. But when she's had all seven, and I think it was like a 1953 Chevy, had three speed on the column. And being as small as she was, those were hard cars to drive when you. How'd she reach the pedals? Uh, she was kind of sitting right up on the edge of the seat. Because those were like big bench seats, weren't they? Yes. They yeah. Were. And she'd get it shoved as far ahead as it could, and then she'd kind of hang on the steering wheel while she was trying to drive to keep up where she could see. Mm-hmm. But she went to Bloomer, and on the way home, she got pulled over by the state police. Mm-hmm. And she had all seven kids in the car. And, you know... The, Officer looked back and forth and up and down the highway, and he said, well, I can't keep you out here because she didn't have a driver's license. Mm. And he said, you have a driver's license? Nope, never had one. (laughs) Just matter of fact. Well, you're not supposed to be driving without one. Well, how'd you expect me to go get groceries? (laughs) He didn't have an answer. (laughs) But he did say, I can't hang you out here on the highway with seven kids, so I want you to drive home, and when you get there, don't do it again. <laughs> don't drive again until you okay, get Okay, officer, license. yeah. So she went home. 30 days later, her ticket was due, and I happened to be the only one going with her. All the other kids stayed home. Mm-hmm. And she had to drive to Chippewa Falls to go in and pay the ticket. And we went in there. And again, she she, dr- was, she drove. Yes, to Chippewa Falls to pay How her ticket. How else was she supposed to get there? <laughs> That's so funny. So, uh, you know, I'm standing just a little bit off to the side, and she's again very short. You know, and there's a big officer on the other side. Mm-hmm. He takes her ticket and looks at it, and he says, "Oh, you owe some money here." And she said, "Yep, I'm here to pay it." And he said, "So, it's for driving without a license." He said, "How'd you get here today?" And she said. Well, how'd you think I got here? I had to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and he looked around <laughs> to see if anybody else was there listening. Mm-hmm. He grabbed her money and said, here, go ahead and go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I walked out the door and I started laughing. I said, Ma, <laughs> that's not how he's supposped to do it. <laughs> you, that's an interesting thing that you just reminded me of. You called your parents Ma and Pa. Yeah. I find that so fascinating because <laughs> we've talked about this a couple of times, but it's just so old timey. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, your whole childhood, everything mm-hmm. about that time of your life is very, 
you're like settlers, <laughs> you know, moving out west. That's what it sounds like, like little little house on the prairie. And you called your parents mom, pa. You called grandpa, pa, for my whole, like until he passed away, you called him pa. Yeah. Yeah. I never heard you call him dad or anything like that. No. It was always pa. Or the old man. Well, I never did that, but uh, a lot of people did. Yeah. I I don't I don't like those terms. I you know, many times at jobs I've worked at in my life, you know, guys get to talking and they say, the old lady. They're talking about their wives. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never did that. No. I I thought, you know, if you do create what you say, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna get what you're saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, I just remember it being so common that people called him the old man we didn't as grandkids but it wasn't that's what it said in his obituary yeah yeah but you called him pa yeah i did yeah but you know there was back then there was a lot of people like that you know my aunt you know she drove her whole life without a driver's license Mm -hmm. and then she finally got a ticket but she was you know like 70 years old yeah drove her whole life and she went to court to fight it. Mm-hmm. And the judge said, do you have anything to say? And she said, I'm not supposed to have that ticket. She said, they fined me. And she says, I have a driving record that's perfect. She said, I've never had a parking ticket. I've never had a speeding ticket. I've never had any kind of ticket in my whole life. I have a perfect driving record. <laughs> he said, you're in court. And she said, yes, I know that. And that's why I'm here, to fight that ticket, because I shouldn't have it. If I've never had a violation in my whole life, why would they have to give me one now? And he said, well, how long have you been driving? And she said, since I was a teenager. He said, well, how many years is that? And she said, about 60 years. And he said, he slammed the mallet down. And he said, find her another dollar for every year. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, was she mad. I bet. I would be mad too if they if he tacked on another dollar for every single year. That's dumb. Well, I mean, really, she should have never tried to fight it. Was your mom educated? Like, did she go all the way through high school and everything? Because she was from Milwaukee. Yeah. Did she, or did she? Because times were different back then, where people didn't always finish school. It was more necessary to start working and kind of get out in the. Yeah, well, I think, you know, both my parents were in that, that situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because my dad's family was big, and, you know, there's not that much, uh, you know, I I think, you know, he was more self-educated with all the reading well, yeah. and studying he did. Yeah. And uh, I remember sitting down doing schoolwork, and he'd come over, and he'd work out a math problem like i never seen you know, He'd get the right answer. Yeah, but I could never figure out how he came up with it. But, <laughs> you know, when I turned in my work, it'd all be good. You know, I did have that happen to me once. I was in like the fourth grade, and I did a whole worksheet, and I got the answer right, but I didn't get any points for it. And so my teacher was like, "We'll talk about it together," and she was like, "You used a different method than what we I taught you." You did get the right answer, but you didn't do the right steps. I was like, that that doesn't work. 
what you're telling me doesn't add up (laughs) my math worked though and she goes i honestly don't know how that worked but i got everyone right she just told me i did it wrong right but that that brings up another question (laughs) how can you say it's wrong if i got the right right yeah i know but she's like well the point of the worksheet was for you to show that you understand the steps i showed you yeah, that's kind of how it worked with my dad. Yeah. yeah. He was always kind of marching to the beat of his own drum. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, as far as my mother, I, you know, I don't think she had a lot of education either, you know. But... Uh, Did she work? I don't know, because when Outside they got married, you know, she moved immediately up to the Boot Lake and, yeah, you know, out of the realms of Milwaukee and... I, I mean, she never worked out of the house until right. all the kids were raised. And then she uh, she got a job at some factory for oh, a really? while, yeah, hmm. at a bean company. Yeah, and um, otherwise she was a at-home mother the whole time. I mean, it just broke her heart one time. She was going to the store, and she had my sister in the front seat with her. And it was about a 90-degree curve down at about a mile from the house. Mm-hmm. And she was going over to this little village, Jim Falls, to go to a grocery store. And she took that corner, and my sister rolled out of the car down a bank. And she had to go get her and pull her up to the car. And then they had to go to Chippewa Falls to the hospital. And Wait. She came back all bandaged up with a broken collarbone. She, your Your mom was driving? Yeah. And your sister rolled out of the car? Yeah. Did she have the door open? Apparently. <laughs> it took me a minute. Yeah. yeah <laughs> to be like, a, wait a minute. She took a left turn in a 90-degree corner, and uh, she rolled out into the swamp. <laughs> she had to go get her. <laughs> Can you imagine looking over? Like, whoops. Yeah. Well, hmm. back then there was no seatbelt laws. Yeah. They didn't even have one in the car. They had cigarette lighters, but not seatbelts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was uh, with my dad one time in that same corner, and uh, I really felt bad for her. You know, they, they had went to a feed mill and got some feed, mm-hmm. and they had that in the trunk in the back seat, and and they uh, they came to that very same corner mm-hmm. after they left the bar and one in the morning. And they rolled the car, and it landed on its top down in this swamp. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the next day, uh, late in the morning, that somebody seen the car down there. And my uh, uncle went down there with a tractor and rolled the car back over. And then a bunch of guys took hacksaws, handheld hacksaws, and they cut the top off the car. Wow. And got them out. They were both in the front seat through the night. Mm-hmm. They, nobody had broken bones or nothing. But on that same corner, that you know, she went through that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, she'd been through a lot of things. So when you went for confirmation classes when you were a kid, was that initiated by your mother? Yeah. Because yeah. your dad was... I don't... He didn't seem atheist but he seemed more agnostic like 
if there is a God, I'm not saying there is one or there isn't one, but like, I'm fine without him was kind of his thing. But like, you must, that must have come from one of them. And she seems like the more likely to have wanted you to go through confirmation. Well, you know, a little bit ago when I, I said, you know, she played a big part in me finding Christ. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, her background, you know, as far as, it, as as far as our life was concerned, she did. I never seen her go to church. Mm-hmm. I never seen her read a Bible. But toward the end of her life, she did share with me that she was taken by her mother to the Salvation Army church service that they had in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. She must have had an experience there at that time that stuck with her. Now, there's one thing about the the Bible, the Word of God. The the Bible is referenced as seed, mm-hmm. and and Jesus Himself talked about that. Right. And the seed, when it gets planted, and in the soil of the heart, mm-hmm. and it uses a lot of farming uh, metaphors. Yes. Yeah. Throughout the Word of God. So this, the word of God is seed, and he said when it's planted, and then he gives a parable of the types of so, uh, soil that, that can be planted in. Mm-hmm. And three-quarters of the seed that gets planted is in ground that does not let the seed grow. Right. But if it hits a good soil, it'll be there, and if it gets watered properly, it will mm-hmm. come to fruition. So when that happened... She must have had seed planted back then. If, um, in a, you know, and I was talking about her, you know, in that two-room house, and you know, she'd clean and clean, you know, and yeah, and she was just didn't like dirt anywhere in the house or in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But yet, at the same time, uh, she would smoke those long Chesterfield cigarettes, and I remember times when she'd have a cigarette in her mouth and she was cooking, and, and at the same time. And she'd be squinting because the smoke's getting in her eyes and, you know, she's cooking food and those ashes would get so long and they'd drop off the cigarette, you know. That never bothered her because she said, well, they're clean. They're already burnt. Burnt. Yeah. <laughs> so they were clean. <laughs> and uh, I always shook my head about that one. Right. But, you know, that part didn't bother me. But when, the one thing that stood out to me was she said repeatedly, nobody's ever going to take my cigarettes away from me. Mm. That's the only thing I've got, you know. Uh, and she looked at it that it was an enjoyment. <laughs> and she said... There's a lot of people that feel that way. Yeah. It's she, more common now that people are like, moms, for example, are like, nobody's going to take my wine. That's yeah. my thing. I treat myself. Yeah. And she did that with cigarettes. Yep. And I, you know, I can't tell you this number of times I heard her say that. Mm-hmm. Then when uh, she got older and they went on a trip with my aunt and uncle and he had a car with air conditioning and this was in the uh, late, late 70s. 70s. Yeah. And, you know, 78 maybe. Mm. And they went up north, you know, for a, like 200 mile drive. And of course, they were bar hopping on the way, mm-hmm. and she, in and out of the car, she ended up with a sore throat, and the she always blamed it on that trip, because 
she'd be in that air-conditioned car, and then they'd get out and go into a place that didn't have air conditioning, and then back into the air-conditioned car, and all the, all the way up there and all the way back. Mm-hmm. You know? So when she got back, she had a sore throat next day. She blamed that on the air conditioner. Yeah. And it got progressively worse mm. until she finally ended up going to a doctor and finding out. And they told her that she had cancer from smoking mm. cigarettes. And, boy, that was a devastating time. I'm telling you, it was a real rough thing to hear. Right. And she fought that battle for two years. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, they did surgeries on her. Did she ever stop smoking? Well, when that came, she did. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty hard to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I know people that do. They, right. They continue no matter what. But she was fighting for her life, and it was rough. But in this time of that battle with cancer, I uh, I was the only one she would talk to about spiritual things mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, the Lord himself. And you were married yeah, at that time. And you and mom, were you going to church? Or no. she must have known, obviously, that your father-in-law was a minister, though. Yeah, she did know that. So, like, there was an open door there to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now you had more exposure to that, even if you weren't, like, already. Well, even at that time... I had spotty, it was spotty, but I was taking in services and house meetings that Mm -hmm. people would hold, you know, and I would have different encounters with God through those house meetings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are quite the the thing to get introduced to God through. A house meeting? Oh, yeah. It's a whole different setting than going to church. Right. And when we'd go to those, you know. It can only reach certain people. Because, like, for you, maybe you didn't like the idea of going to church, but you love a get-together. Yeah. <laughs> like, in general, you love getting together with people. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I did it sometimes just to appease my in-laws. Yeah. Know? And they'd invite me. You know, we're going to go through this. You know, you want to come. And. Then they'd offer to, you know, we could just ride together. I said, no, I'll take my own car. <laughs> yeah. Because I never wanted to get caught someplace I didn't want to be and no mm-hmm. way out, you know. So <clears throat> we'd drive our own car. But I was in and out of house meetings. i seen the power of God moving and people just getting enveloped in it. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing about house meetings is they'd usually meet in the evening, you know. And it was bright out, you know, sun, everything. Yeah. And as the meetings went on. It would get darker, darker, and darker. And next thing you know, you're practically sitting in a pitch dark house, you know. Right. And um, but you know, even in those, one of them one night, uh, a kid rolled all the way down a flight of stairs, mm-hmm. and it was at the foot of the steps crying. And they got up just momentarily, went over and picked the kid up and laid hands on him, prayed for him, and you know, all of a sudden the kid quit crying. Mm-hmm. took off and they sat back down and started playing music again and singing songs and like it was in the 70s but it, this was like a good decade after the jesus movement which a lot of people maybe picture because like of the movie jesus revolution yeah it was back in those times 
Yeah. 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 So, you know, there was a, they knew I was working toward that. Yeah. The family did. And uh, I was hesitant, though, because mm-hmm. I always had to, in the back of my mind, I always had a thought, how am I ever going to pull this off if I actually wanted to live for God, you know, and nobody I know <laughs> does. And, I think that's a lot of people have that thought. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? My whole lifestyle is this way. Right? Yeah. And I was a heavy smoker, too. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I started at 12 years old. And, you know, by the time I got delivered by God, it was, uh, I was 30. Yeah. So it, it, it was a pretty rough thing for myself. You know, right. I'm watching my mother die of cancer from it, and I'm still smoking terribly mm-hmm. hard. But she'd share here and share there, you know, little things that, you know, she wanted to tell me. That's when I found out about the Salvation Army yeah. in the church she went to. And she'd never talked about that my whole life until she was, you know, dying. Mm-hmm. And she kept talking and you know, telling me different things. And I I went one night. She had a serious situation happen where she had, at one point, they had a tracheotomy in her throat, and they offered to take it out. They thought she was healing good. Mm-hmm. And she jumped at the chance. Yeah. Well, they took it out, and she never wanted to say anything to anybody. But she was really struggling getting oxygen because uh, they had sewed her back up, and her she had such a limitation of air that she could get, but yet she didn't want that put back in. It was like breathing through a straw. Uh, or like a coffee straw like that bad yeah yeah and she had an adult heart and lungs that were not getting Mm -hmm. what they needed and then she had a massive heart attack Mm. and my sister was home she had the youngest sister at that time and she called two calls she called one to the 911 and they were only uh, about two miles from the hospital Mm mm-hmm so an ambulance come to get her. The second call she made was to my wife mm-hmm. and said, you got to get a hold of Tim because mom just had a heart attack. She went to the hospital. And it was, this all, you would have to been there to see this whole thing fall into place. Mm-hmm. I was out making deliveries for a lumber company. And my wife got a hold of them. And they sent the guy out in a pickup. And mm-hmm. I had five deliveries to make. And I was probably 25 or 6 miles from town, unloading one, and the guy pulled in, and he said, you have to go, there's an emergency with your mother. She's at Sacred Heart Hospital. He said, you can take my truck, I'll finish this. Mm. But I stood there and helped him finish that stop. And then I got in his truck, and I had to drive all the way back. And then that hospital was on the opposite side of town. Right. And I took his pickup back to the yard, I got my car, and I had to cross town. Mm-hmm. And I walked in, and I was looking around, and I was at the ER, and I spotted her in a room laying on a gurney, and all I could see was her head. But there was nobody there. There was nobody to talk to. And I, it was just the strangest thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody was behind a desk. I couldn't see any people. So I started walking down there. And on the way there, I kept saying to myself, be strong, be strong, you know, don't, 
start crying or anything. She needs your strength. Mm-hmm. Well, the last thing a person in that situation needs is somebody else's strength. <laughs> right. And I walked in there, and I took her by the hand, and I'm, I was standing there looking at her, and you could see the pleading in her eyes, you know. She wanted help so bad. She was dying, and she knew it. And, you know, I can visualize you up today, that look on her face and her eyes. Mm. And, and that was in 1980, and this mm-hmm. is 2023. They were holding her hand. A voice spoke to me and said, pray for her and I'll heal her. And I snapped around because I thought somebody behind me said that. Mm-hmm. It was so audible. And I, there was nobody there. And I looked back at her and she looked at me like she was waiting for something to happen. You know, I can't tell you how much time this all took. Right. It was happening rather fast. And the second time, that voice spoke to me very stern and said, pray for her, and I will heal her. Mm-hmm. And I just froze. And both times that happened, I'd get a big lump in my throat. And I've told this story many times. And I said it was crazy because, you know, the thought that I had, what would I do if people came in here and saw me doing that? Mm-hmm. What an awful thought. Right. But that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And it was very stern the second time. And then the third time it happened, it was like somebody would come up and take a hold of your shirt in front and shake you. Right. And my body started shaking. Mm-hmm. And I got screamed at. Pray for her and I will heal her. And the first two times that happened, I turned around and looked, looked to see who was in the room and nobody's there. And the third time, I realized what was going on. And she's looking at me with intensity that something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, she couldn't talk. Happened, and I refused. All of a sudden, people just rushed in there, mm-hmm. and they swept her out from under me. And a guy turned around. And he said, "You're coming or staying." And they got on an elevator and went to the critical care unit. Mm-hmm. And I went up there, and they didn't ask me to gown or anything. And I followed them right in. And they took her into this room and they strapped her down with straps on her wrist, her elbows, across her chest, her forehead, her legs. Mm-hmm. And he took a scalpel and he opened up her throat to put a trachea on him back in. Right, as you were standing there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her eyes rolled back in her head. They fell shut. Like she passed and, out. Yeah. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, she's not dead but I can't give her anything right now. Her heart's so weak. Mm. And I, I just turned around and walked out of there. And you could still smoke in a cigarette back then, smoke a cigarette in the hospital back then. Mm-hmm. And I walked through the double doors, and there's a waiting room just outside. And mm-hmm. that's the first time somebody else showed up, and it was my dad. And we stepped into that waiting room, and um, I was... I lit up a cigarette, and so did he. And we blown smoke in each other's faces. But it was like compulsive, right? Like, yeah. it's something, it was habit. Yeah. Like muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and anytime you'd get tense or anything, you're a smoker, you know. Even if something bothers you at a table, you'll get up and go out and have a cigarette and then come back in. Right. So as I did that, I didn't say nothing out loud. I just said within myself, I said, dear God, I need help. 
Like you were disgusted. Yeah. Yeah. I I watched my mother go through what she just went through. Yeah, like five seconds before that, and then... And I come out here, and I light up a cigarette, and I blow smoke in my dad's face, Mm -hmm. you know? And I said, dear God, I need help. I need help really bad. Right. Well, you know, I I was still smoking, though, and, and she went on, and it was later that uh, she didn't pass away at that time. You know, I, I I spent different times where I'd go up there and see her and nobody else was around, you know. Mm-hmm. One night I was standing over the top of her and nobody's around, no, no people, not even workers at the hospital. And I was standing over there and she was not conscious to me being there at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I made this statement out loud in the room. I said, I would take everything she's got on me if she could be at peace. Mm. And it was shortly after that that I got this big lump in my throat. Mm-hmm. And it hurt even when I'd swallowed my own saliva. <laughs> and it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I think I really did end up with what she had. Mm-hmm. She had cancer of the throat when she started that whole thing. But then it traveled quickly, and they took out a lung, and they did this and that. And she had quite a few surgeries done. And at the end, she shared with you, like, a a spiritual experience she had too, right? But it was widely, by your family, dismissed as being... Because she had metastatic cancer, which means it's spread throughout the body. In the brain. Yeah. And they attributed it to her brain cancer. Mm -hmm. Yes. But you, what was that experience like? But I walked up there one night about midnight and I, there was a. Did she die in the hospital or at home? In in the hospital. Okay. And when I went up there, I I couldn't get in the room. I was Mm -hmm. in the doorway and there was something going and I could not walk through that door. A presence in there. Mm Mm-hmm. It'll take many podcasts to come up with the answer for that. Yeah. But I, I knew I couldn't enter that room, so I stood there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it was like a release, and I could go in. And I walked around the bed, and there was one little dim light on above mm-hmm. her. And I looked down at her, and she's got the sweetest smile on her face, and her eyes were just glistening. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I said, Mom, what's going on? And... She couldn't talk, you know, just a whisper. Yeah. And she still had that trach now. Mm-hmm. And she put her finger over it, and I leaned down, and she was just at a real, real quiet whisper. And she said, Jesus came to see me. Mm. And I stood up, and I looked around, and I said, where was he? And her finger came off the trach, and she pointed at the foot of the bed. I said, was he standing down there? And she just blinked her eyes. I said, what did he tell you? And I leaned down, and she whispered in my ear, and she said, he's coming to take me home. Wow. Hmm. And I stood back up. She said, the 7th of January in the afternoon. Hmm. And I told people. Which is the day before your birthday. Hmm. Yep. Sorry. 
told, she told me the 7th of January in the afternoon. On the 7th of January, I was working. Mm-hmm. And they told me at work that I had a call. And my wife, Lynette, called me. Mm-hmm. Did you know on some level? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she told me that she passed. Mm-hmm. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 7th. And when I told my brothers and sisters and my dad, they all said, you know, the cancer hit her brain. She had no idea what she was saying. Right. But you knew that there was that presence or that feeling there because you were there, you know. Yeah. Mm. But the, the thing was... When I looked at her that night, and her eyes were glistening, and she had a smile on her face, and I stood there thinking, no human's got the ability to be in that situation and have that drastic of a change, mm-hmm. where they're totally at peace, and they know what they're doing. And it was such a powerful moment for me, because when I came to Christ, I was in an extremely repented state because I know the voice of God spoke to me Mm -hmm. and told me to pray for her and he would heal her. Mm -hmm. Not of... But he was very merciful in how he handled it with her, you know? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, she was in no position to go get baptized. She was in no position to you know, have a lot of things that the Bible says to do right. at that point to do them. Mm-hmm. It's something that couldn't be done. Yeah. And yet in the, on those circumstances, you know, I've witnessed people, even myself, when I repented of my sins and I got baptized in the name of Jesus and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a countenance change that takes place on people. Mm-hmm. Their entire countenance changes. Right. And you see the change physically. Mm-hmm. And spiritually, it's so known to everyone. And yet when people are in that position, it's like my uncle. My uncle was 96, and and um, one of his daughters, now this is after I'm saved. I'm, yeah. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I've been living for God for several years. And my family kind of spread the rumors that I was a radical, and I was <laughs> out, of, out of this world with some kind of a cultish thing, you know. And it spread through all the relation. Mm -hmm. But when this happened, my uncle was taken to the hospital, and his daughter called me, and I just happened to walk in the door, and we had a home phone, not a cell phone, and it was hanging on the wall just inside the kitchen. And I stepped in, coming home from work, and it was ringing. So I picked it up, Mm -hmm. and it was my cousin. She said, did you know my dad's in the hospital? And... I said, no, I didn't know anything about it. And she said, yeah. And she said, they don't think he's going to live very long. I'm telling you, she was at a whisper. Mm-hmm. Like she's going to get caught. This was your Uncle Hank? Yeah. But she said, would you please go see my dad? Mm-hmm. And I said, certainly. And we hung up. And I hung up the phone, and I turned around, and I walked right back out and got in the car and left. Mm-hmm. And it's about 20 miles from my house up to the hospital. And I immediately went there, mm-hmm. and I walked in the door, and he's sitting on the edge of the bed. Mm-hmm. 96 years old. He was a big man, big German man. You know? Yeah. And he's sitting there crying like a baby. Mm. And I said, Uncle Hank, what's wrong? 
And he said, I'm scared. I said, what are you scared of? He said, I don't know what to expect. What do you do, what do, you do when you die? What happens? He said, I'm scared. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that fear. And I said, didn't anybody ever talk to you about heaven? And he shook his head, no. So I sat on the bed next to him, and I said, I don't know a lot because I haven't been there yet. Mm-hmm. But I said, I want to tell you what I read in the Bible. And I started sharing with him what I read about Jesus and how he's sitting on his throne and the lights and the rainbows of lights all around him. And mm-hmm. I said, it's a glorious place. I said, you don't have no XL energy pills and you don't, <laughs> you don't have to worry about the heat and the cold yeah. and you don't have to worry about keeping your lights on because he's the light of that place. And I started sharing with him all the excitement I had about mm-hmm. heaven. And then I said, anybody ever talk to you about being born again? And this man attended church his whole life. Every Sunday he was in a little Lutheran church a mile and a half from his house. Is that where you got confirmed? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That same place. Same place. (laughs) And when, you know, I started talking about that and, you know, he was in no position to take him out of the hospital and get him baptized and Mm -hmm. things like that. But I I said, you got to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And I helped him pray and you know, I told him how to ask God into his heart. And mm-hmm. when we got finished talking, then we just visited and laughed together for about 20 minutes. And I gave him a hug, and I told him I had to home, run, you know. And I got back home, and I walked in the door, and the phone's ringing. Mm-hmm. And it was my cousin. And she said, did you ever get a chance to talk to my dad? And she's still whispering like she's going to get caught talking to me. I said, I just came from there. I said, we had a good time. And she said, thank you. They just called me and told me he's gone. Wow. Yeah. Just like with my mother, when that happened, there's a presence that shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I talked to her, and I could see the countenance change, the difference in her. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't have that. People have habit, you know. Mm-hmm. And whatever your habits are, you know. I got in a truck accident one time, and I had... You know, with the load, the truck, the fuel on, 80,000 pounds. And I hit an ice patch, and there was one road took to the right and one to the left. My truck went between them, mm-hmm. down over a hill. And I I just held on to the steering wheel and braced myself. And the jackknife, you know, the trailer and the tra- tractor, mm-hmm. and I was going down that hill, and I just, all I did was just scream the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, you know, I heard a man ministering one time, and he says, if you're in a bad situation, you don't know how to pray, he said, just scream Jesus. It covers all the way from Genesis to Revelations. And I did that, and I come out of that crash without a scratch. Mm. Even though that everybody that that was there said, it looked like he took dynamite and blew the whole thing up. You know, it was so bad. Mm. And officer that came, you know, he said that. And then a fire truck came, and they said it. People from the ambulance, they did it, mm-hmm. you know. And all that happened. The thing I sat in a chair, and two hours later, I was sitting there, and I was thinking, I didn't want the accident. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't, you know, it was a horrible thing. But as I was sitting in a chair, I thought, if anybody was going to find out that ice was there under that two inches of snow, maybe it's best it was me. Right. Because when I screamed Jesus, I was screaming the name of Jesus for help. Mm-hmm. Somebody else might have used it as a curse word going over right. that hill. And a lot of people, when they're look, thinking in the terms of profanity and they have something that's bothering them, they, they use that as a cuss word. They don't use Muhammad or you know any other mm-hmm. god. They use Jesus when they're using it as a curse word. Right. And 
you know, I used it as salvation, and I came out of it just fine. Mm. But when, you know, people don't know him, they don't know enough to do that. Right. That's why it's so important for everybody to come to a place of knowing him. And my mother had that experience for two years of a slow, painful, painful death, dying of cancer. And there was times when she, I know she was reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. You know. But never did anything ever get any better where she was really home and mobile to go anywhere or anything, you know, in and out of the hospital. And it was all just at a hospital and back to the house for a little bit and back to the hospital again. But it's a hard, it's a hard thing to watch. And even going through it all, I was still bound. I stood out there lighting a cigarette up in that waiting room and right. blowing smoke in my dad's face. And that started my journey a little stronger, though. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I could be in the same situation if I don't change. But I also knew that I didn't have it in me to do it on my own. Right. I needed God. I needed him to do it. And at a later date, a later time, I'm going to get into more of that detail. <laughs> 